Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, I'm Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. we got a lot to get to today. It's been a little while since we did the last one of these, and Andy, we've, we've finished up our vacations. Uh, practice is underway. We tried to get a podcast last week, and we had some technical woes, but uh, we're back. Those woes being that I brought the wrong computer to be able to record it. <laughs> It's it's not like it's the equipment's fault. I didn't bring the right equipment. So that's on me. My bad. Technical woes is is sort of a catch-all for for anything. And I was trying to to spare your feelings This is where if it was a a TV show, we'd have that Stimson still frame (laughs) of, like, the puppy dog pulling out the cord. Or what's the other? It's like Kent Brockman, like, going crazy, and then the cord pulls out or something like that. And there's one where the guy's holding a bottle with a double X on (laughs) it. And the cord's out, I think. Uh, But you were down in... Uh, speaking of technical woes, you were down at the Outer Banks when the uh, the big power outage hit, right? How yeah, that was, that? that was rough. Yeah, it was uh, two days before we were supposed to come back. That's when the power outage went out. On my birthday, no less. Uh, and my daughter was not feeling great, so you know it was really hot. There was no power. We didn't know when it was going to come back, so we just took off that day. And then it turned out they weren't going to have it back for like weeks, and they forced everybody to evacuate the next day. So at least we beat the traffic out. Well, while you were gone, Berman was also gone, and so anything tech-related fell on my lap, from Vic to Ty Outlaw getting hurt in the basketball court. I mean, it was it was a busy week for What you. a horrible <laughs> summer week for you. It's like, all right, I'll just step in. Maybe a recruit will commit or something. It'll be nice and easy. It's like, oh, man, these stories are falling right in me. Right into my uh, lap here. This is horrible. It's like when you show up to cover the socks for me, and they tell you they need uh, 800 words uh, by uh, 930. The pitchers tomorrow is an interesting matchup. The wind was blowing at five knots out of the southeast. Yes, there's only so much you can say about a single minor league baseball game. But here's a rough outline of what we're going to get to today. We're going to talk about the offense and my theory that I postulate in the uh, in the upcoming football tab, which will be coming out in a while. But we had to file a little bit early. So we'll talk about that. Um, talk about the Caleb Farley injury, Deshaun McLeese. Uh, the margin for error for Tech this year, and we'll get into some gambling odds that we found on the internet, um, and also the the fact that the Hokies are in the polls, and you're an AP poll, poll voter. We'll find out sort of your thoughts. I know you probably haven't solidified yet what you're going to do with that ranking, but whether or not they're in the poll and that kind of thing, we'll talk about that as well. So a lot to get to. Let's start with the offense because I'll give you my outline of my, what I wrote uh, for the for the tab, and you tell me what you think, okay? basically I said that there's a school of thought, I think, and it, and it comes from years and years of, of watching the Frank Beamer-led offenses that uh, given how much Tech has lost offensively this season, uh, you know, so many skill position players, a new quarterback, uh, just, just so much that's unknown, a running back situation that uh, relied so heavily on their quarterback last year who's now gone. I said, you know, a lot of people are going to say, well, the defense will have to carry this team. That's it seems like a logical thing to say, but I, I basically am taking a step back and saying, no, I don't think so. Um, not, not all of it. They're not, uh, and it goes back to what we saw in the spring game. I think they had every excuse in the spring game to put on a terrible, sloppy offensive show, and you know, because not only were they trying to 
meet all those challenges we just talked about, but also they had a lot of people sitting out. You know, they were not playing. Um, Cam Phillips only played a few snaps, and he was out. They were being very precautionary with everybody. But I think what Fuente has shown us is that he's going to still very much be interested in moving the ball a lot, regardless of of the turnover on offense. And, and I'm curious what you think of that. Yeah, I think I'd agree uh, to an extent. I mean, I, I think this system is set up to be pretty successful. Uh, you look at the kind of players he's had over time, and you know they had Andy Dalton, and he left, and they still were pretty productive uh, with the next quarterback they had in there. They had uh, Paxton Lynch originally, and, and he finally became a really good quarterback. And I, I think a lot of people expected Memphis to fall off the map after uh, you know Fuente left there, and that program has still continued to do well. And I think part of it is because of the structure that he set up there, uh, but part of that I think is the offense didn't change a whole lot. Uh, after he left so th- there were some offensive pieces there and they did pretty well you know I think a lot of people look at this team and they go well you know you have all these star players that are gone but a lot of the reason why those were star players last year had as good of seasons as they had is because they were playing in this particular kind of system uh, I mean you, you know I, I don't look at draft uh, where they get picked in the draft and say that's you know definitely how good they were or anything like that but you're talking about a sixth round pick, a seventh round pick, and an undrafted uh, as the three juniors that went out last year. Sam Rogers was a sixth round pick. I mean, sixth round pick was the highest offensive player taken. So it's not like, uh, you know, this offense succeeded last year because Cam Newton was on the field or something like that. Right. It's not just otherworldly talent that's doing it. I think there's a lot of it that is the scheme that was successful. And, uh, you know, it might not be as pretty this year. Uh, I don't know how many of those, you know, 50-50 balls you're just going to throw a fade pattern to Isaiah Ford, and he was money on that all the time. Uh, you know, it's third down and you need uh, a yard, you, you can call Gerard's number. I mean, he's going to pick it up most of the time last year. Uh, I think this year it might be a, a little bit grittier, a little bit uglier in certain situations, but this this offensive staff knows how to move the ball. They can get production, and, you know, quite honestly, I don't think they really care if it's pretty. Uh, you know, they don't care if it's a hundred yard rusher every game. Uh, if they have to give it to a receiver on jet sweeps 10 times in the game to get yards, they'll do that. So I think the fact that they're not married to this way that their offense has to look like, Oh, the, and sometimes you, you get these offensive gurus that it you know, sort of goes to their head. I, I have to throw the ball 80 times this game, or, or, you know, we can only play this certain way on offense. I don't think Fuente's like that. I think he looks at his, uh, you know, skills that he has of the players on offense, what are the strengths, weaknesses, and he'll cater the offense to that. And I, I should say Brad Cornelson too, since he's the offensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, historically they've put up some pretty good numbers, even if maybe the talent hasn't always been top notch. We always talk about how spring game, and we did it again this year, how spring games, you take them with a grain of salt. You look at them with a skeptical eye. and But I just felt differently about this one. I mean, I thought there was so much that I wanted to see uh, going into it. And maybe over time, I'm, you know, th- remembering it better than it was. But I just remember walking out of there and thinking, they're going to be okay. And, and I just, you know, and I think it goes back to some of the stuff you're talking about with the scheme. I mean, the scheme gets people open, even guys that are new and, you know, the Dalton Keene types that uh, are making plays that you saw Sam Rogers make last year. Um, you know, Phil Patterson getting open uh, downfield, you know, guy that hasn't uh, stepped on the field in a real game. Uh, I think those are exciting things to see. And I think, you know, I don't know, when you walked out of the spring game, were you encouraged uh, about their offense or, or, or you, you less so than I was? Well, 
I try not to draw many conclusions from the spring game just because, I mean, coaches can set up the spring game to be whatever they want it to be. If they want it to be just this offensive masterpiece, they can set up the rules right. that it's going to be that way. I mean, they call the plays. They can be really vanilla on defense, and, uh, you know, it's easier to move the ball, obviously, if that's the case. Uh, maybe I didn't have as rosy of an outlook coming out of there as you did. I, I thought the first-team offense kind of was a slog for a while there. I know they kind of opened it up a little bit at the end. Uh, move the ball a little bit, but I think a lot of the, the movement uh, offensively was with the second team, and that was going against you know second team defense with 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 all the injuries. That was kind of almost the third team defense, and lower than that. So, uh, yeah, I think you saw some bright spots. Dalton Keene, you mentioned some of the receivers, uh, Hooker obviously as the quarterback, Caleb Farley, uh, who's unfortunately injured for the year now. He was really a standout at that, but. Uh, I try not to take too many big picture things from that because it's just, uh, you know, it's it's a practice. You know, it, it's a practice in in April, and it's so far from the season, and it's so far from what your team will become that it's it's really tough to judge anything. Yeah, I think that all of that is fair. I guess I'm just maybe years of conditioning of of showing up to spring games and believing, well, they have every excuse for this to be a sloppy, gross game and I can see Frank afterwards saying, Well, we got a lot of work to do and we'll we'll get right on it and it's gonna start with hitting the weight room really you know, all that stuff. And instead we were talking about possibilities after that game. And I think that was a little bit different and felt felt different. And you know, we've talked a lot about the transition and how things change. And I think that's one of the ways things have changed. Just sort of the the hope for offense is legit. Uh, even if it's maybe a little bit rosier than it should be. Well, I, I will say that I think Fuente sort of said those same things after the spring games. Like, we've got a lot of work to do. I think, you know, he stressed the offseason was going to be critical. I mean, these are just, you know, fill-in-the-blank coach quotes sure. after a spring game. Uh, so, you know, maybe we're conditioned to hear it from Frank, but I think Fuente says it maybe a slightly different way, but it's the same message there. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think you saw some seedlings of hope there. Uh, for the future and these these sort of young talents that they had coming in, they're going to need them to play because I think a lot of freshmen are going to play this year. And, he, and you've seen Bud Foster, you know, take opportunities to just kind of go out of his way and talk about how the offense he likes it. You know, like, uh, for example, the very first press conference going into preseason camp, he was asked a question about the strength coach. And he's, he equated it to Fuente and, and the fact that Fuente is bringing these fresh offensive ideas and his strength coaches are similar in the same way and that you had a legendary strength, strength coach in Mike Gentry and now you got a new one in Ben Hilgard. Um, and, and, but he went back to the offense. And I think when you see Bud Foster, who's seen every offense under the, under the sun, you know, over his years uh, scheming for opponents, uh, be as enthusiastic as he is about what this offense in 2017 can bring. I think that's, that's encouraging for me. I don't think it's just a, you know, Hey, we're all in this together thing. I think he really feels more comfortable than probably he usually does when there's this much turnover on that side of the ball. Yeah. I think, Bud said something in the spring, maybe it was the very start of spring, where he says this offense is capable of manufacturing some production, even if it might look like there's not a lot there. Mm. Uh, I, th I think maybe that's sort of in stark contrast to what Bud was used to for a while. I mean, you look at some of those Tyrod Taylor teams uh, with the talent they had at receiver on that. I mean, Tyrod Taylor is a starting quarterback in the NFL now, and Virginia Tech was still ranked like hundredth nationally right. uh, in total offense. It's just you never felt like, like yeah, they could make the big spectacular play or something like that. But I feel like just as a function of the offense now, they stand a better chance of moving the ball, even if even if it's not a superstar doing it. 
Uh, so I, I think maybe that's where there's a difference now than there was before, and, and I think that's something that you know get that's why Bud still likes coaching here, and why he sort of get gets up in the morning is he's excited about that possibility because the defense has been steady for so long to have an offense now that you look at and you go, all right, that's going to be trouble for the other team, even if uh, maybe the star power isn't there. It's funny because I was looking up some numbers for that column, you know, try to strengthen my argument that uh, what an improvement they've made offensively. And this past year, they scored 35 points a game. And I looked up 2015, and it was 31. And I said, oh, that's a really nice improvement, you know, four points. And, you know, maybe it doesn't sound that big, but it, it is big. And then I looked at 2014. Do you remember how many points they scored in 2014? It was quite an uptick from, I think it was like 24. 24.1. 24.1 points a game. I mean, you just, you know, to go up 11 points in two years is is staggering it's a staggering thing and a lot of those guys were the same players they were just younger you know yeah well i think that's why going into last season we sort of had moderate expectations we're like well this this offense improved by seven points in one year so is it going to take another leap like that and to their credit they did take mm. another substantial leap in in points per game and, and how much they were scoring uh you know that's a credit to this staff and like you said it's sort of a sign that some of these guys matured over time but it, there's no doubt bringing in somebody like gerard evans had a huge effect on that what do you think the over-under should be for, for this year's offensive uh, scoring output? I, I would put it lower than 35, but uh, would you put it lower than 31? Do you think it's going to be in between those two years? or uh, Maybe put it right at 31. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's tough. I mean, with these points per game, you have to like factor in who they're playing in the non-conference because that really can skew the number. Uh, I, I'm not sure what they score in the ACC. Maybe that's a better barometer because yeah. the competition is, is steadier every year, but uh, I, I think the way football is now that you're just going to score more points anyway. Uh, so I, I think I'd put it in something like third. I, mean, I think I'll take a step back from last year, but right. I think it'll still it's not going to drop off the face of the earth. Yeah. Well, the the Farley injury, you mentioned Caleb Farley shining in the spring game, and he really did. He did a lot of those things that you saw Isaiah Ford do last, last year or throughout his career, really, um, make those tough contested catches. And what a non-contact knee injury, right? First day of practice. Mm. I mean, they weren't even they're in shorts that day. It's not even like pads or anything. There's Just not a even, freak thing. Yeah, it's uh, you know people talk about you know all the work they do with injury prevention and stuff like that. It, it just shows you that this game. If you take a misstep or your foot comes down wrong or your knee was a little, you know, historically just had some, uh, you know, was waiting to to bend and break like that in a certain way just because of stress over time that. Uh, there's not a lot that you can do in a situation like that. You're, you, you know, Fuente was just sort of like he shook his head. It's like you know, non-contact injury in the first day. I mean, that's not what you expect in football. You'd expect some guy to it's a middle drill and he gets hit on the side of his knee or something like that. So it kind of shows just how sort of uh, fleeting health can be in this sport, where something as benign as that could could take somebody out for the year. Yeah, big loss. <laughs> Who, I mean, I, I'm sure it's the same group that we've kind of been talking about, but who would be the next man up in that such a scenario? Do you think? Well, I mean, it, it's interesting. People say next man up. I, I wasn't even sure how big of a role Farley was going to have this year. I think he was going to play. Don't get me wrong. And I, I think that was obvious from the spring game that he had a talent that could contribute, certainly on downfield plays. I think he kind of showed that over-the-top uh, ability for stretching the defense, but he was still a true freshman that had about a week and a half in the spring at receiver. Uh, he was a guy that, I mean, freshmen, you, you really don't know how they're going to play when they're on the field. There's so much adjustments, even to like college life, let alone on the field, that uh, it's sort of a mixed bag for that freshman year. 
I go back to uh, Isaiah Ford. Think about how great he was as a true freshman. He had 709 receiving yards that year. Cam Phillips was really great that year. He had 498. I, I, I think if any of these freshmen get to 500 yards receiving this year, that is a major co- contribution. Like I'm, I just, I think the way that Farley performed in the spring, some people are thinking, oh, he's a thousand yard receiver or something like that. I never thought it was going to get to that point. So the fact that they lose him, while it's a blow, I don't think it's necessarily a, a death knell to this offense or. Uh, you know, they can't possibly replace a guy like this. I think they had a pool of guys that he was going to be a part of that just, uh, you know, it becomes thinner by one. But it's still the same sort of group effort. You know, Eric Kuma, Phil Patterson, Khalil Pimpleton, uh, C.J. Carroll is, is a little more experienced than other ones. Henry Murphy, James Clark. I mean, it's the same pool of guys that have to contribute for this offense to succeed. And, you know, I think Farley would have just been part of that. It's, it's really Cam Phillips. You know, a large space, maybe C.J. Carroll because he's a little more experienced, and then the group uh, of receivers as a whole that really haven't done a whole lot on the field yet. The amorph- amorphous mass yeah, of, yeah. of guys. You need to yeah. come up with a good name for that group. <laughs> All right, well, <clears throat> moving to the running back position, you know, you wrote over the weekend about Deshaun McLeese, who has uh, had a very – uh, rocky time of it, or, you know, with injuries. Last year he played what in the opener and got hurt in the opener and didn't play again because of uh, what a knee injury uh, or torn labrum. Labrum, okay, so shoulder area, and and that's uh, he's back. He feels what better than ever. That's what they always say coming into August practice. You'd be amazed at the number of guys who are in the best shape of their life and better than ever. I wonder if Bartolo Colon said that when he showed up to the spring training. No, he just shows up and he jiggles his (laughs) belly and everybody laughs. He's like, all right, interview over. That's all we need to do. What could Deshaun (laughs) McLeese, a healthy Deshaun McLeese, bring to this backfield? He's an interesting option because he's not quite like those other backs. I mean, everybody else in the running back group that's kind of in the mix. You look at Trayvon McMillan, Stephen Peoples. Uh, Jalen Holson, a true freshman. They're all sort of bigger guys, at least 200 pounds or heavier. Uh, McLeese is 5'9", 190. Uh, 5'9", maybe even generous. I, don't, I haven't stood next to him to see exactly how tall he is. Uh, you know, he's a, he would come across as maybe a more shifty back, perimeter guy, speed type guy. But you know, the way Fuente and the coaches talk about him is he, he runs between the tackles better than you would think. Uh, he's got a little more pop than you think in there. He's, he's not necessarily just a pure speed guy and you, you see how many guys have just been like that over the years you give them the ball and you know they're going to run to the outside right away so i think that gives him a little bit better chance to uh be more of an every down back because i i think that you know he described himself as somebody who can do everything at, at the running back position that includes catching the ball blocking stuff like that i think that's a very well-rounded option that they have there uh, he's coming off an injury it was the labrum tear last year two years ago i, I want to say he had a shoulder that was bothering him. I don't know if it was, it was the same one uh, in August. And, you know, that's sort of a critical installation time for these true freshmen, uh, especially when they're putting in the offense. So he ended up redshirting that year. Uh, Trayvon McMillan kind of took off. And then, you know, last year I think people expected McLeese to be in the mix. And uh, he has this injury. The good news, and you know, for Virginia Tech fans are, who are so accustomed to running backs having knee injuries over the years, is this was a shoulder. It's right. not like it's it affects his explosiveness or his cutting or anything like that. It's just, uh, you know, he has to take a pop and, and learn how to how to deal with that sort of contact on his shoulder and stuff. So, you know, I think he's got a shot. I, I, I think people maybe write off Trayvon McMillan a little bit sometimes just because his production dropped so much last year, but he's still. 
the leading returning rusher in uh, for a career leader in the ACC right now of all the running backs. Hmm. Uh, not overall. That'd be Lamar Jackson, I would imagine, is number one uh, if you include quarterbacks. Uh, so, you know, he's got 714 career yards if he's, he's entering his junior season. If you double seven, 17, 1700, 1700, yeah. what I say? 714. 1714 yards for his career. If you double that, I think it would put him at fourth on the all time list at Virginia Tech. So, as, as, you know, he's been very productive to this point in his career, and he still has two years left, mm-hmm. uh, is my point. So, I think people have maybe written him off a little bit. I think Peoples brings an interesting option there because he's a little bit heavier guy more of a power guy. Haven't seen much of Jalen Holston, but the way Fuente talked about him, it sounds like he's going to play this year. Uh, I think there are some running back options here. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how they split the carries. I think, you know, Fuente doesn't care really how, who gets the carries as long as they're moving the ball, but you know, trying to satisfy four guys and get different carries in there. It's, it's a tough thing to do. So uh, I think there might have to be a little bit of paring down of that group and it'll be interesting to see how they do that over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, for McLeese, 5'9", 190. I don't know, maybe I'm outdated, but that sounds pretty stocky to me. I mean, it sounds like a decent-sized, <clears throat> you know, in terms of uh, girth. Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, what, what's a 5'9"? I, would, I wouldn't describe him as girthy. Okay. Yeah, 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 he's a little bit slighter than you. Like, okay. J.C. Coleman was had, you know, he was small, but he was like, I forget what his weight was, but he sort of was a stocky-type you know, powerfully built guy. I think McLeese is like that, but I think he's uh, a little rangier, I guess, if he can what be rangier. What was Barry five, Sanders? Nine. I mean, he's, I'm he's not sure. up around 215 or something? Or? I'm not sure. Because he was short. Well, too. his thighs alone yeah. <laughs> might have put him up that much. I think McLeese, you look at him, you wouldn't say that's like a girthy, stocky guy. Okay. He's, he's still sort of a, a slight figure compared to the other guys, but I, I think he does have that ability to be a, a tougher runner than people think. Okay. I'm going to give you an opportunity here. I didn't put this on the sheet. I'm going off the sheet, but I know you're working on a story about scheduling uh, for the tab. And I don't know if you want – do you want to preview that a little bit to give us a little hint? We of what could. You talked, to, you talked to Whit Babcock yeah, about Yeah, well, it. I spoiled the whole story on the mailbag last week. Somebody <laughs> asked about it anyway. So, And I said as much on the thing. It's just kind of how you put together a non-conference schedule and, and what goes into it. I mean the Hokies are booked through 2030. In their non-conference, 2029, I think now, uh, in their non-conference schedule. And, uh, you know, recently announced matchups with uh, Old Dominion, Liberty extended that series a little bit. VMI is a one-off series they have, in addition to BYU. That was the the big uh, additional name. And I think a lot of people saw that and they kind of rolled their eyes. They go, oh, great. Look at all these lame games that they're adding, you know, outside of BYU. I don't think people get too excited about Old Dominion and Liberty. But, uh, you know, the, the piece is just sort of about piecing together a, a schedule over time. You try not to overschedule. You know, if it were up to everybody out there, they want to play Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee every year. But first of all, those schools don't want to play home and homes. They don't want to come to, you know, uh, home campus sites and, and trade away a home game like that. They'd rather do the neutral site thing. And, you know, the second part is that you, they don't really want to play a team like Virginia Tech. It just doesn't, it's not to their benefit uh, a lot of time to do that. So, you know, it's a balancing act because you look at what they have to look at. There's a financial aspect to it. They have to make their budget, so they have to have enough home games over time. They have to have pretty moderately priced buy games that they have for non-conference stuff. There's the fan aspect of it where you have to satisfy people coming to the stadium that are paying these increasing ticket prices. Uh, that's a tough thing to do, and I think a lot of people are like, oh, why am I going to pay $100 to go see ODU? 
for this one particular game. That's something an AD has to keep in mind. And then there's the uh, competitive side of it. You don't want to overschedule. You don't want to underschedule if you're hoping to be in consideration for the playoff down the line. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the coaches give input on something like that. Uh, I, I think I talked to, to Witt last year about the Maryland series that they scheduled. I'm like, why did you schedule this, like, you know, 15 years in advance? And he's like, well, it was just easier to come up with this series. Like, they were in the middle of a coach search. We were in the middle of a coach search. Uh, it was just two ADs talking 15 years down the line. So they didn't have to take into account what the coaches thought or what the competitive balance would be because, you know, who who knows what the teams will be like 15 years from now. So that's another thing that has to come into uh, to mind when you're scheduling these kind of things. And that's sort of the crux of the story is just, uh, you know, a thought process on how these schedules come together. What about those who say, okay, I can understand tech going to ODU because it's a recruiting hotbed, but why are they going to Liberty? Like, you know, Virginia tech, big, mighty Virginia, big, bad Virginia tech as uh, the, the magic Johnson line goes. But uh, I mean, big, bad Virginia tech. Why would it go to Liberty? Why, why would it, why would it be required in any way to, to go play at Liberty? Well, it's an FBS opponent now, so it's not an FCS team. If it was still in the FCS, I think that'd be like, why would you ever go on the road to play an FCS team? <clears throat> One big thing is that they got a pretty good deal on the series. I mean, they essentially got two two-for-ones that they signed up for because they added four home games, two road games. Uh, the f- Whenever Liberty comes into Blacksburg, Virginia Tech will pay him $500,000. Uh, whenever Tech goes, or, or I think for the – yeah, I think for the four games. I'd have to look at the, the, the actual contracts for it. But whenever Tech goes there, they get 250000 Tech Tech would get that from Liberty. So there's a financial side to it there. When you're bringing in like a, like a Bowling Green or somebody like that to play, uh, the price is up over a million dollars now for those kind of buy games, uh, those guarantee games. Uh, so this is a, just a, a way to really pay half of that going rate. Uh, you give up a home game, but you get two for one in that deal. Uh, I, I want to say UMass got like $1.3 million from Florida to play a, a game a couple years ago. Uh, when you're Florida and you, you pull $6, 7000000 million from a home game, you can afford to do something like that. When you're Tech and you clear probably $2.5 million, $2. million on a home game on a good day, uh, you probably don't have as much money to work with. So there's a financial side of it there. and. Uh, you know, be able to play in the state in a location that's fairly easy to get to. I think that was sort of the thought process behind it, even though I think a lot of fans don't like it. Okay. Thin margin for error. That was one of the takeaways that Justin Fuente had. I've never heard that from a football <laughs> coach. Have you? I think thin margin for error is one of those phrases, and I've used it in columns. But That uh, should be a book title for <laughs> some like- coach's biography, autobiography. <laughs> I just wish that Chiswick book had been about poker. I would have read it then. The all in. I book. saw you made a reference to that Chiswick book the other day. Were you like searching it again? Were you so like taken entranced by that headline, or that title of the book that you're like, I need to look this up some more. That all in's been on my mind for a while. I just, uh, you know, if, if it was about a coach taking some time off to go play poker in the off season, that would have been a fan- fascinating book. Well, but. here's the thing: is they, you know, how the teams come up with a uh, a slogan every year. And uh, in the preseason, we're at the SEC Media Days, and we're talking to one of the linebackers, Josh Pines. And he's like, our motto this year is eight ain't it. Because <laughs> they won eight games last year, the previous year. Yeah. And like we're like, what was that? He's like, eight, 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 eight. <laughs> it's like, that's really tough to say. Like, did you guys 
like you know, workshop this when you were doing it. And then like second week of the season, like Chizik at press conference, like we need to be all in. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, that's the slogan from now on. And they took it and they ran with it. I mean, when they were doing really well, that was the year they went to the national championship. Uh, Chizik would be like a pep rally and stuff like that. And he'd be like, I don't need some of you to be in. I don't need <laughs> most of you to be in. I need you to be all in. Everybody would be like, oh, it's going crazy. And then this was the great part is the Clemson fans, you know, Dabo Swinney at the time was you know pretty good coach at, at Clemson. His team, you know, not the level they are now, but they were pretty dang good. They had the same phrase, all in. <laughs> so then all the Clemson people accused the Auburn people of stealing the phrase all in <laughs> when first of all this is a phrase that's existed in poker forever and second of all every team of the world has used this all in buy in mentality like don't claim territorial rights intellectual rights to this all in phrase and, and act like oh my gosh the gall of this school to steal our all in catchphrase so that's a little history on the chiswick all in uh all in phraseology there. We came up with one team, <laughs> one dream. Right. Going 1-0 and every week. It's like, trust me, more than Virginia Tech has used this in the past as a team motto. There is one coach I've ever heard use, not use the phrase where you have a thin margin for error, and it's Gino Oriema, the women's basketball coach at, at Connecticut. He would always say, yeah, we're, we're way better than everybody. We cannot play our best game and still crush people uh that's just the way he is but every other coach is going to take the more uh humble tact and, they, and it's more accurate uh probably with virginia tech here that they it's true they don't really uh tell us your thoughts about when he said that i mean what what do you think that means in this particular case i think it's more apt this year than it was last year i mean last year i think it was true and they sort of tried that line out when they lose to syracuse or they lose to georgia tech you know, thin margin for error. You know, can't take these games lightly. You can't uh, show up and you know roll your helmets out there and expect to win. Uh, that was true a couple times, but I think you you know sort of bouncing back to what we talked at the beginning of the podcast is, uh, you know, those guys that were going to save you or bail you out in certain games aren't here anymore. Uh, you know, when they were in trouble last year, they go, all right, we're just going to start throwing it up to Isaiah, and he's going to bail us out of this situation. Uh, that's pretty much what he did in the pit game. Him and Bucky just, you know, jump ball after jump ball, making plays. Uh, how many times did they just throw it on Gerard? You're, you're just going to be the workhorse and run it here. I don't know if they have guys like that that can just rise to the occasion and pull them out of a situation that uh, really looks dire. So, um, you know how they they started way behind against uh, Notre Dame last year, Arkansas last year. Uh, there's another one I thought they fell way behind in a game, I'm, I'm blanking on the, the schedule last year. Whatever it is, they can't fall behind in games like that this year. I think, uh, you know, with the smaller margin for error this year, uh, you need to be on your game from the start. And if you're not, you're probably going to lose some of those close games because you, you won't have enough time to, to, to make a comeback like that if you do sort things out. So I think it's a more true statement this year than it was last year, but it is, it is probably something you're going to hear Fuente say many times over the years. Is it safe to say start fast is going to be one of your weekly yes, that's keys? Yes, that's a pretty fair assessment. What was your favorite coach motto for a season? Uh, you remember the one Al Groh had in 2007? <laughs> no. Well, I was, covering Virgi- no. <laughs> I was covering Virginia at the time. That was the year that they like kind of came out of nowhere uh, to compete for the division title, and then Virginia Tech uh, pounded them at the end of the year and won the division title. But it was the – they had the offseason where they're like – we're just a bunch of average Joes. 
We don't have a lot of name players, just a bunch of average shows. And, like, the weight coaches made up, like, service station, like, <laughs> like oil state uh, change guys. Like, they had those collared shirts. That, they All the name tags said Joe on it. And, like, Chris Long was wearing that. like, we're just a bunch of average Joes. Like, first of all, Chris Long, you were not just an average <laughs> Joe. Like, you're, you're eventually going to be the number two overall pick in the draft. Like, there's nothing average about you as a player, but that was like, they bought that hook, line and sinker. They were just all to, to steal another phrase. They were all in on the average <laughs> Joe uh, motto there. I think that was, that was one of my favorites because it was so absurd. And they're like lifting weights in these service station shirts. It's like, what are you doing? This is very strange. Uh, you know, I like, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I don't always fulfill this goal of mine, but I try not to put you on the spot when we're on this on this podcast and ask you questions that you can't answer. I know I've already done that about two or three times on this peninsula, but one question I did not expect to get was, do you remember what Al Crow's <laughs> motto was in 2007? Um, really, that was a rhetorical question. I was going to just give you the answer. I just wanted to segue to it, and that was the only way I could think of doing it. God. Off the top of your head, Aaron, do you remember this crazy was, motto they had this particular year? I was going to guess confidence is a product of demonstrated performance. But that's I guess another that's one. Wrong. Well, I mean, the other sort like, of like – You can't put that on a shirt. The though. other theme they had is like we're just like Joe Frazier. Just slug it out in the middle of the ring. Yeah, that was a big thing one year even though none of the players had ever like known who Joe Frazier was. <laughs> So I'm trying to yeah, – yeah, I, I guess Virginia Tech's over all the years has been the lunch pail mentality, and they've just bought – I mean they've taken that thing to you know, the uh, farthest conclusion that you can with that, with, with like actually having a lunch pail out on the field and somebody carrying it around all the time. Does the lunch pail have a Twitter account yet? I'm sure it does. Are you following it? I'm not <laughs> if, it, if it does. I'm sure there's one out there <laughs> saying it's various places that the lunch pail is eaten. <laughs> That actually might be a funny. I mean, if you ha- in the right hands, that actually could be a funny Twitter account. You know, if you get one of these chuckle <laughs> chuckle heads that you know just got on there and was doing the what the fake the phony Bennett type thing. You know, have you ever seen the phony Bennett? I've He's seen some of, of those. Sometimes. Anyway, I mean, they're all chasing faux Polini, the fake Bo Polini one. I think that's a pretty good one. Ah, uh, okay. I haven't I haven't been on that one. I'll need to check that out. Twenty second in the coaches poll. I know we talked a lot about whether we thought they'd be ranked and we both thought they'd be sort of fringe, you know, maybe just in or just out. And I guess they're just in. Um, what do you make of them being 22nd in the coaches poll? It seems about right. I mean, they dropped six spots from the end of the season last year. That was the biggest drop of any, anybody in the poll. Um, but I think given the losses that they had personnel wise, that's justified. Um, I'm a voter in the AP poll for the first time this year. Uh, that's actually due tomorrow, so I've got to not only do I have to finish my tab stuff up today and write a daily story. I've got to get my my ranking done. You know, this is newspaper life. I'm, I'm a procrastinator at heart, and I put everything off until the last second. So that's what I'm going to be doing all night tonight. Uh, I've noticed doing some research for that one is once you get past 15, the teams really start looking the same. I mean, you could. I could probably put teams going up to 35 and consider them in the top 25. Just And and the other part of it is I don't think a lot of people really know. Um, you go into a season, I think, you know, there's all these rankings in the offseason. Everybody's written about it, and that's just sort of the narrative of what the se- season is like. And it's like I, I don't know anything really about Utah. I can do some reading, but it's not like I have firsthand knowledge about how good Utah is going to be or something like that. So I'm trusting some of these other sources uh, reading that, it depends on how much do you 
support uh, historical trends or how much do you put stock into returning starters and stuff like that. It's kind of uh, a crapshoot, especially at the bottom end of those rankings and, and even the top part. I mean, how many teams every year do you see start in the top 10 and end up way out of the rankings? I mean, you know, Tennessee, Notre Dame last year, just a couple of examples. I don't know if Tennessee ended up out of the rankings, but I know Notre Dame, obviously four and eight, you're not going to be ranked at that point. Everybody knew that was a consensus top 10 team going into the year. So it just shows you how little people really know going into this, which is uh, a long-winded way of saying that my initial poll will probably look a lot like the sort of consensus idea of what the poll is going to be like uh, heading into the year, but I, I hope to be a little bit more uh, open-minded with my thinking and not afraid to rearrange things and tear up the ballot and start anew once the, the actual games start getting played. Yeah, I think it's kind of the opposite of the annual all-star snub discussions, you know, because it's always like, well, if you're going to take – if you're going to put somebody in, you got to take somebody out. Well, it's just, it's the opposite with this preseason poll. You know, I'm thinking in my head they should be 26th or 27th, probably one of the first receiving votes uh, outside the top 25. But then you got to answer the question: Well, who are you putting in instead? And that's what you're talking about right there. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at the the poll right now. I mean, Georgia's 15th. Yeah. I mean, Georgia was a pretty mediocre team last year. Still has a, a really young quarterback. You wonder if Kirby Smart in year two is going to do it. I mean, Miami is 18th. I don't think Miami is demonstrably better than Virginia Tech. Some people might even argue that Virginia Tech is better. Uh, a lot of Hokies fans, I would imagine, that uh, you know kind of roll their eyes at Miami always being picked to win the Coastal every year uh, would probably be in that camp. I mean, South Florida is is right around where Virginia Tech is. Texas is is ranked 23rd. Who knows what Texas is going to do with Tom Herman in his first year? It's like, yeah, he's a great coach, but I wonder if the personnel is there. I wonder if the things are going to fit. I mean, there are just so many question marks about a lot of these teams in the bottom half of the poll that, you know, quite honestly, I'll give Virginia Tech probably the benefit of the doubt just based on last year and the way Fuente coached. Uh, and, you know, obviously all that can change in an instant. Uh, you know, lose to West Virginia, you probably drop out pretty quick. Going back to the mottos, I think I could make a pretty good column if I could find all the mottos out there, or you know, ten or twelve of them, and just you should do that. Look them up. What is Tech's motto? Is it is it hard, smart, tough again, or is it one and zero, or they they is a hard, smart one and zero? Maybe they're combining them all. What what is what is the hashtag been? I haven't seen a hashtag develop. Okay, so uh, we might get. A I'll have to look here. it up. Maybe uh, maybe I can find something. I'd like to see what maybe what the most creative one out there is. Uh, there's probably one out there. I want to say Wyatt Teller had a shirt on that they tweeted about the other day. Let me let me let me see if I can find. Wyatt that. Teller's shirts are usually a good place to go if you want to find what they're all talking about. He's sort of a trendsetter when it comes to the whole idea of uh, we're looking. If we're this scrolling, was the, if this is just the other day, it might be like 80 <laughs> tweets down. So I, I've got to do some searching here. There it Whatever is. it takes. Whatever it takes. I feel like Frank Reynolds, dead air, dead air. <laughs> He's just sitting there eating chips, yelling, dead air. Whatever it takes, I don't know. Whatever it takes is terrible. Yeah. The I'm one, sorry. I, know, I, I, wouldn't tell, I wouldn't say that to Wyatt's face. He'd kill me. But, I mean, he, he, that well, is a Wyatt, terrible Wyatt, shirt. Wyatt didn't come up with the shirt. <laughs> he shouldn't wear it but either. The, you know, the one and O, you know, we make fun of it and stuff. That was a decent one, at least, I thought. Uh, Fuente was wearing a one and O bracelet to the uh, to the – ACC kickoff. I noticed that. I was looking at his bracelets, and one of them was made by his daughter, and the other one was a one and zero bracelet. So, no, 
uh, maybe he's sticking with that whole thought. I don't think you cut that one off. That's that's going to be a go-to move for you a long time. But all right, I think it's time. I really do. I think it's time. I think we've reached that moment. Yes, it's the Pimpleton Minute. I want to know about Cleo Pimpleton because I – Did you like that fade out there? That was high tech stuff there. Really Really top-notch production quality, which is why you listen to the podcast every week is for (laughs) our award-winning production quality that we have on this stuff. They call that imaging, I believe. That's called imaging, even though there's no images in the radio business. That's news to me. Yeah. Yeah. Khalil Pimpleton. They also do it with like actual like computer effects instead of just holding an iPhone up to the microphone. I know you had said I think it was in a mailbag. Somebody had asked you which freshmen are going to play this year, and I, or maybe it was in the practice report. And somebody had asked Fuente what the uh, who who was going to play as a freshman, and he named a few, but Pimpleton was not on there. He said I'm probably forgetting a few, and you know don't take this as uh, you know gospel, but. Uh, here are some off the top of my head. He did not mention Khalil Pimpleton. Should I be concerned? No. Okay. No, I, I think he's definitely going to play. Uh, he was running with the first team, actually, at the uh, open practice that we had for part of that. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think he'll be the starter. I think C.J. Carroll will be in there. But I think given the uh, sort of receiver makeup right now, that he's a guy that is like a freshman plus. I mean, he was here in the spring. He has a whole winter of uh, conditioning. He was a guy that seemed like they sort of earmarked him for a role uh, right when he got here. And obviously there's so many question marks at receiver that I think a lot of those freshmen are going to play. Like Sean Savoy, Hezekiah Grimsley, two guys that just got here, uh, could get on the field in some capacity this year as well. There's only one water bug on this squad. And I love the I love the term water bug. To water describe. bug. Yeah, you've never heard that? No. Oh, I you need to do some of these high school previews, you know, when you ask these guys, uh, hey, well, what's this guy like? He's like, oh, he's a water bug out there. And that's what, that's, you know, jump around, fly around, uh, makes moves, you know, get away from some people. So, uh, Khalil, keep it up, man. Keep working hard. Uh, I'm in your corner. Andy doesn't care one way or the other. Aaron just wants to play the song every week. So, <laughs> Well, I'm going to play the song every week. It's a matter of whether we just say, uh, yeah, he was still on the bench this week, or he's redshirting. Uh, just for those of you who missed last podcast, I, I hope I, I'm That'll not. That'll be a really boring Pimpleton minute if every week's like, still redshirting. See you next week. <laughs> root for some injuries, gang. No, <laughs> no, we would never root for injuries here. That would be a bad thing. Okay, let's get some gambling. Um uh, the regular season over under. Hey, Aaron's done messing around here, folks. Let's get to the gambling portion of the the podcast. Regular season over under for wins. Before I give you text, and I know you know what text is. What, what would you guess Virginia's is? This was interesting to me. Four and a half. It's five. Is it? And the over is favored. And I looked at their schedule. They have a real legitimate shot of starting three and zero. Oh. They got they got William Indiana, and Mary. Indiana is better than it's people. Tricky, think. yeah, it's a tricky game, but uh, it's at I home. Would, I would, yeah, th- in that, front of your thirty thousand fans. I mean, if you're a Virginia fan, you're saying it's at home as an argument for why you should play better. I don't think that's necessarily the strongest argument, considering they you know got run off the field by Richmond last year. True, I, I think they're better. I do. I, I was up there for their second practice. And I, I looked at them and I said, uh, they look more organized. They look like they know what they're doing. And, of course, they have a quarterback. They're one of the few teams in the Coastal that has a quarterback returning. 
Um, they got a couple all ACC performers on defense. I think they will win some of those uh, games that they lost last year. But I, you know, their November is ridiculous. They got uh, they got Tech to end it off in in Charlottesville, but they also go to Miami and they also got at Louisville. So Oof, that's that's rough. They're gonna you know they're gonna have to make their hay early. Let's say the they they better start three zero if they want to get to that over. Because exactly. I, I think whether they get there or not, I think that Indiana game is is kind of the key. Yeah. I know they have a new coach there because they forced the old coach out because of uh, I think it was just behavior stuff. Like he was just like over the top aggressive with some of these guys, which is weird because Indiana's terrible. And they you know they finally got to a bowl game the last couple of years. They actually got to a point of respectability and they still pushed their coach out. Um, but that's still a team that's won six games, I think, the last two years and been to bowl games. So that's a better team than people think. Yeah. You, you look at it on paper, you go, Indiana, it's a basketball team, but no. But, but yeah, I guess the point of bringing that up was that sometimes the over-unders can be a little bit jarring or surprising. And, and I thought Tex was too. I mean, <coughs> Tech is at nine. That, to me, we talked about margin for error. That does not. When you've got Clemson on your schedule at home, you're, you're going to Miami, you're going to uh, Georgia Tech. Uh, that you opened with a tricky game where you're only a three and a half point chalk at, at against uh, West Virginia, which is also ranked. Uh, that you know, you lose those four, you're under already. Um, and uh, you know, if you lose three of them, the best you can do is push. I do. You, do you see any way where you would you would take the over on that and bet on ten regular season wins? Uh no. I mean, I'm predicting eight and four this season. That just seems like. I look at the schedule, and I try not to go like, oh, here's the games that win, the games that lose. I just try to sense sort of maybe how the team will do this year because, you know, out of nowhere you'll have a game like Syracuse last right, year. Right. Or out of nowhere, you, you know, Notre Dame is not as good as people think. Uh, so that sort of changes things. But, uh, yeah, I think it was eight and a half at one place uh, in, like, the spring. And I thought maybe that was a number that, you know, certainly Virginia Tech fans, a lot of them would take the over just because they're optimistic about the season. But that's a number I would at least have to think about. Nine, I, I, I don't even think I'd have to think about that. I, I This doesn't seem like a 10-win team to me. That 10's a big number. And remember, that's you have to do that in the regular season. Uh, so using that standard, last year's team didn't even get to that number. And last year's team was pretty good and lost a lot of guys. So... Uh, yeah, I'm not a gambling person because whenever I feel so strongly about something, I end up looking like an idiot on it. But I, I think if I had to, if I were to make a, you know, bet in this situation, I would go with the under. I'd say I'd go over on seven and a half and anything else. I'd probably go under. I just, you know, and I, and <laughs> this is another <laughs> indication and the, the poll is another one. Um, and just sort of the feeling around campus is another one, but it's just one, another one of those indications that uh, people believe Virginia Tech is back, that Vegas would put this line out there. I mean, it's a, it's a significant number. And um, so, I mean, and you know, we know the Coastal's not gangbusters this year. I mean, Miami, going to Miami, they I think they'll be about a five-point dog if, if the season started today. But I want to say that line is even out there I think places. it is. Maybe it's, I, maybe I, I, I saw that. exactly what it is. But – that's yeah no yeah it was in your that preview from SB Nation that you okay it was like uh, they were five point uh, their power rankings had yeah. them a five point worse than than Miami at Miami, um, and the other one I think was Georgia Tech where they were a little bit maybe at a deficit, um, but everyone else I think they were kind of favored to win but that doesn't mean you're going to win and so um, in order to build in some margin Clemson, for Clemson's a Clemson right 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 yeah um, so. I'm sorry, I glossed over when we got to the Pimpleton Minute. I was so excited that like one of the questions I was going to ask you is, you know, in addition to Khalil, 
who are the other guys that are going to play? I mean, uh, who, who who do we know? I mean, Hunter, I guess, right? And, and uh, Dalton Keene. Those were the three that, that uh, Fuente mentioned. Jalen Holston, uh, Devin Hunter, Dalton Keene. Uh, I think Devin Hunter is just that talented. It's not really a position that they absolutely need somebody to step in, but, you know, five-star talent type guy. Uh, he's going to get on the field somewhere this year. Uh, Dalton Keene, you, you saw what he did as sort of a safety valve in the spring game. A really effective guy doing that. He's had a full offseason. You know, I think he was one of the guys you mentioned in your column about uh, body by Ben getting uh, yeah, right. you know, the real strong offseason thing. I think the, the before after uh, pictures of him is pretty striking. That's not the deepest position. It's going to need some freshmen. Uh, Holston is just impressive-looking guy for a freshman. I, and that's really all I've seen is him standing there not running the ball too much. But Fuente seems to think that he's on a track uh, for playing time this year. We've mentioned Pimpleton. Uh, I mentioned Sean Savoy, Hezekiah Grimsley. I think they could get in the mix. Uh, maybe he just forgot about it because it's sort of an untraditional freshman, but Oscar Bradburn, the punter from Australia, right. uh, I think he's going to be the starter. Um, you know, I think Caleb Farley would have been in that picture. I, I think there's some defensive linemen that could get into the two deep. Uh, I think it's somebody like Zion DeBose, uh, maybe one of the tackles, Jabril, Gra- Jabril Glaze or Robert Porsche, uh, the fourth. I think one of those two guys can maybe make some noise and, and push for being that fifth tackle or something like that just because they need some depth there. Uh, but it's tough to crack that defense right now. I mean, it's uh, you know some of those young defensive ends I think are going to need some time to – uh, grow into their bodies a little bit in the college level. Uh, Nathan Proctor, Taiwan Garbett, uh, I think they're a little on the lighter side right now for defensive ends. They need that uh, off-season work to sort of bulk up a little bit before I think you take them seriously a little bit more. Uh, maybe in the secondary, something like Bryce Watts, maybe he could play early. Uh, I'm trying to think anybody else. Uh, off- I mean, it's hard for an offensive lineman to play right away. Uh, it's just size wide. There's a size wise. There's a uh, eliminating factor there. I think Lasita Smith is a tight end. That's sort of a blocking tight end that Fuente was excited about. They, they have Colt Pettit there, but I, I think uh, Lasitas might bring some stuff that's a little bit different. Uh, Drake DeJulius, I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, he could be another tight end H back type guy that could get in there, but there's a good number. It, it could be a, a decent number of true freshmen to play right away. Yeah. A lot of it out of necessity, right? All right, we're going to wrap this up with quarterback odds. But before we do, I'd like to ask you a question. I watched Gladiator with my 11-year-old son the other night. Am I a bad father? No. It's pretty violent. Yeah, there's a lot of blood and But killing. it wasn't as, really as bad as I thought it might be. I was really hesitant He's about probably it. seen worse on YouTube already, hasn't probably, he? Probably, probably. Okay, it's a good movie. Good, good father-son bonding. Moment. It was. Uh, the wife was out of town with the daughter, so I was like, "Let's do this. Let's get some pizza, you know, and just do this." And uh, so, I hope nobody asks if he's ever seen movies about gladiators. <laughs> a couple days into school, you, you get a call from the school and they're like, "He's quoting uh, Maximus." He's going. <laughs> he around. turned over a table and asked if we were entertained. Uh, what's going on here? I know nothing about this. <laughs> I don't, this is news to me. I'm sorry. What made me think about that was you mentioned uh, Oscar, the Aussie, and I had shown him the That's Not a Knife, This is a Knife oh, clip okay. the other day. And I'm like, here are some things that I showed my <laughs> son that maybe I shouldn't. I guess That's Not a Knife, This is a Knife is fine. I mean, there's really nothing other than the racial undertones of that thing. That whole movie, really. Yeah. Uh, all right. This fresh, these these uh, quarterback odds are interesting. Very interesting. You found this uh, – the, the, 
CBS Sportsline is quoting uh, bookmaker.eu. Okay, so it's a legitimate site uh, that actually is offering this, uh, which I'm always hesitant when we hear about odds is somebody just throwing them out there. Um, that's not the case here. You can actually bet on this um, illegally. Josh Jackson minus 140, which is uh, equates to five to seven favorite, which means you know you'd have to bet $140 to win 100. He's the favorite. Then you got Hendon Hooker at three to one, and you got AJ Bush at seven to two. Uh, you tell me what you make of these odds, and I'll tell you what I think. Kind of surprised. I mean, I, I think I've put Jackson as the favorite, but maybe I wouldn't put him by that much of a favorite in this whole thing. I, I really surprised to see Hooker ahead of Bush. Uh, I think that A.J. Bush just sort of maturity-wise could be a better fit for this offense right now, even though I think a lot of fans are clamoring for the next big thing, and that's why they always sort of uh, go to the freshman that's coming up. It was sort of you know Dwayne Lawson a couple years ago. Obviously, that didn't work out. Uh, it probably would have been a disaster if they had handed everything over to him right away. Um, I just think it's it's so tough for a freshman quarterback to play that – I'd be I'd be surprised if he was the guy who came out of this winning the job, especially, you know, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast against a team like West. It's, it's not like you have that soft opening, like right. Liberty, where you can just get used to the college game. You have West Virginia right off the bat, uh, and that is a very tough way to start your college career. And I think you hold Hooker in reserve <clears throat> because if you if you need that uh, midseason spark because things are going terribly, uh, then you can maybe go to that option. Or if one of your two quarterbacks, uh, your older quarterbacks turns out to be good, you can redshirt him. I mean, it just makes more sense to me to not start with him at the controls, unless you didn't feel good about the other two. And I, I, I would lay, and I'm not a, I'm not a, you know me, I'm not a, a, a chalk better. I don't bet favorites very often, but I would be willing to lay the 140 there on Jackson. I feel like, uh, Fuente is, is, you know, likes this guy. And at the very least, he's going to want to go with him to begin the season. And yeah, maybe that if he's not as good as uh, everybody wants him to be, he's gone quickly. I mean, I don't think there would be any hesitation about a hook if it needed to happen, but I think he's still going to be the first guy. That, and that's what we're talking about here. Who's the first guy to trot out against West Virginia? And I think it's Josh Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a reason he's the favorite. I mean, if I had to lay a bet on this to try to win money at the, at the best value, I might go with A.J. Bush just because they're kind of considering him an afterthought in this whole thing at 7-2. to two. Uh, it, it would seem like, in my opinion, that he has a better chance of winning it than maybe they're they're giving him in this thing. Uh, I, I think he's a lot closer to Jackson than people might think. I agree. Uh you know, I, I did some odds that I just made up, and I just told you that I hate when people do this. But I, you know, after the spring game, I said, "Here are the odds that I would put." I, I think I put Jackson three to five. I put Bush at three to one, and then I put Hooker at like eight to one because of what I just said. I don't think that's. I don't think you're going to see him out there. Um, so maybe you get a little value at plus three fifty because that's more than three to one on Bush. So that's more than what I had said initially. But minus one forty is not a big number that's that's you know the colorado rockies at home against arizona you know i mean that's you know they're they're supposed to win but maybe not that much by that much you know maybe, maybe they're not that favored um and i think jackson is way more favored than that i just do 
Yeah, I, you know the betting odds and what they mean better than I do. So I'll, I'll default to your experience on this. I'm just saying I feel like AJ Bush is maybe undervalued in this particular set of odds. Well, I'm seeing another ACC team, or a couple of ACC teams on here. Uh, well, North Carolina's on there. Pittsburgh's on there. What do you What do you think of that North Carolina? Miami's on there too. Do we have any thoughts? I guess Max Brown is the Pitt, uh, I, I think Max Brown has been the guy. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a pretty heavy favorite on this thing. I think he's always sort of been in there. I think the Miami one is really up for grabs. Uh, not quite sure what North Carolina is going to do. It, this tons of question marks. Quarterback in the Coastal. I think that's why we've talked about why it's so wide open and and people just kind of throw their hands up when they're talking about who's going to win it. Before we go, I mean, uh, I forgot to mention he Fuente said some interesting things about Terrell Edmonds, right? Didn't he say he never had a player like him or He's something He's never like that? had a player that he just doesn't get tired. Yeah. Like, everything that he does, he just doesn't get tired, apparently. And, you know, you're talking about playing on the defense, playing on special teams, uh, all sorts of special teams. Uh, you know, he was the one that caught that little jump pass last year for Mitchell Ludwig in the ACC championship game to jumpstart the team. Uh, and he's a big guy. He's like 220 pounds now. Like, that's big for a safety. Yeah, it is. And he's still like that. Apparently, he doesn't get tired. Okay. Well, I'm tired of taping this. We've done a long one today, but it's been good, I think. We had some laughs. We did. We had some cries. Thanks for bringing up We're going to cut out the cries. We're going to just stick to the laughs for this. I love when you bring up Al, and I hope you do it more often. All right, that'll do it for us today. We'll catch up with you probably next week. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarlane. We'll see you next time.